0: Hi there, from Mamma Mia, I'm Emma Gillespie filling in for Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie Junior, getting your family up to speed weekly. Today, we're going to look into why it feels impossible not to fight with our brothers and sisters. And we'll be chatting to the head coach of the incredible Combank Paramatildas. But first, we're finding out why TikTok is making it harder for some singers to release their new songs. of Halsey. She's an American singer who's had hits like this. And this. She's just released a new song called So Good. It sounds like this. record label is a company that takes care of the business side of the music industry. Halsey creates the music. Her record label is responsible for getting as many people as possible to listen to her songs and download them. Halsey's record label is Capitol Records, and they control how and when her songs get released. Even though Halsey's previous records had sold over 165 million copies, Capitol Records told her they weren't going to release her new song, So Good, until she'd made a TikTok video with the song in it that went viral. So Halsey went ahead and made a TikTok video in which she complained to her followers about the record label not wanting to release her song. So now we know how record labels try to use their power to push their performers around and how much TikTok is being used as a new way to sell music. Chelsea McLaughlin is an entertainment reporter at Mamma Mia. She's going to break it down for us.
1: So in May, Halsey shared a video on TikTok featuring pretty tinny music in the background and some screen on text claiming that their label, Capital Music, was not allowing them to release a song they wanted to release as soon as possible. So she said, I've been in this industry for eight years and I've sold over 165 million records. And my record label is saying that I can't release it unless they can fake a viral moment on TikTok. She went on to say everything is marketing and they are doing this to basically every artist these days. So, maybe ironically, this video ended up going super viral itself, essentially creating the viral moment that Halsey's label had wanted.
0: So, what does it mean for a song to go viral on TikTok? And why do record labels care about a musician's
1: social media? I guess there are a couple of different ways or reasons that a song could go viral. So maybe it could be for a dance trend, like Lizzo's new song, About Damn Time, or maybe because there's a particular lyric or a transition that works well for skits or, you know, showing off camera roll photos, that kind of thing. But it's important for labels because ultimately it's a pretty low effort, high reward marketing strategy. So if a song takes off on TikTok, it can reach really wide audiences in a really short space of time. So it can pop up on your For You page, for example. And because TikTok makes it really easy to make videos with existing sounds, like you know, that's kind of the whole point. If you like a song, you can make a video, and then that video is linked to all the other videos that also use that sound. So it's just really good marketing. It reaches more people than a billboard, and it's probably a lot cheaper than a billboard. And then you can see the direct impact of the virality on charts and streaming, which obviously then earns musicians and labels money.
0: Lucy Smith is a presenter on Triple J, a radio station aimed at young Australians. Lucy says Halsey isn't the only musician whose record label wants them to go viral on TikTok. And it means that if you want to be a successful musician, you also have to be a success at creating a following on social media.
1: The response that I saw from a lot of local Australian talent was Ultimately, that being an artist is not synonymous with being a content creator. And if that is potentially the expectation, monetize it. You know, where's the team? Where's the resources around that? Where is your viral social media expert that is going to give? I guess, lessons on this and provide feedback and provide tutoring in a way about how they can make these moments happen, particularly online. You know, you don't know what's going to pop off. It could be the most simplistic video. It could be something that really did have a big team and resources behind it. You simply can't pick what is going to go viral on that app. Some people think
0: the whole thing was a publicity stunt, but more musicians have come forward to say that their labels have treated them the same way and they don't like it either it looks like Halsey has started an important conversation about how music is released and added a new verse to the age-old chorus of the best musicians. It isn't about how many likes you get on social media. It's all about the music. That's why it's always best to just be your true self and make the creative projects or things that you like and make you happy. Do you have a brother or sister who isn't annoying? No, I didn't think so. Whoever invented the expression fighting like cats and dogs never had to share the backseat of the car on a seven hour journey up the coast to visit grandma. Otherwise they'd have called it fighting like brothers and sisters. Does your family have to get a ruler out to precisely measure each slice of cake to make sure no one gets a bigger piece than anyone else? Is there always someone banging on the door of the bathroom to make sure you don't use up all the hot water? Competition between brothers and sisters is a complicated thing called sibling rivalry, and it happens in all families. To help us understand a little bit more about sibling rivalry, we're going to talk to psychologist Elizabeth Shaw, the head of Relationships Australia New South Wales, an organisation that helps families when they get into arguments. She knows a lot about why we sometimes get annoyed with other members of our families. Elizabeth, we all know how it starts. A second child is born into a world that a first child has ruled for however long and suddenly they have to share it with their sibling. So is it normal to feel annoyed when you suddenly have a new brother or sister? Or can you think about it in a different way?
2: A lot of it does depend on how the family greets the second child and how it's set up for success. And so the anticipation for a young child can be set around this is something to look forward to, this is something that's going to be you know good for the family. all of those messages are really helpful. but of course in a tiny mind there also needs to be room for actually maybe this isn't going to be all fantastic because little kids often experience, you're going to have a brother or sister and this is going to be a friend for you, only to find that this is a very boring little thing that doesn't play, seems to sap a lot of attention from the family. And little kids also are really affirmed for being sweet to a baby. But I think we need to leave room that sometimes that child may not feel sweet towards the baby and that that's okay too. Can sibling rivalry teach us anything? Is it ever a good thing? Hugely it can because it is the first relationship where we learn to manage complex feelings that appear to be in contradiction. So you can actually be highly irritated by a sibling and love them dearly. You can find them, you know, very problematic but think, but I'd never give up on them or if they ever needed me, I'd be the first one there. So you can actually juggle these really what look like opposite kind of feelings but how it's steered by parents and others around you and what the motivations for that rivalry are can make a big difference. Even kids who do argue, if you ask them about it, can say, oh, yeah, lots of kids argue, and you can hear that they travel quite lightly with it. That's quite different to feeling like your sibling's really out to undermine you, where there is maybe covert bullying, where you really do feel highly mistreated.
0: If you are struggling to see eye to eye with your brother or sister at the moment, Elizabeth has some advice that might help you feel better.
2: I think, first of all, really look at the effect that it has on you and to realise that you actually have some options. So often we're very drawn to the problem of other people. So, you know, if only my big brother didn't do that or if only my sister got her act together. And the trouble is as soon as we think that the other person has to change, we can feel more helpless and disempowered because we never get to be different until they change. Whereas if you work on, okay, my siblings tend to do this or that and they always do this or that, every event they do this or that, how am I going to respond differently? What are the ways in which I could laugh it off? I could walk away or maybe I could say, oh, look, I know you always do that, but I'd really like a go this time. So occasionally actually speaking up about it in a positive way can also make everybody think, oh, yeah, you know, we do always fight about this and can join you in the task of doing it differently.
0: Just before International Women's Day back in March this year, Football Australia announced that we would be getting a brand new soccer team, the Combank Paramatildas. Until then, there'd been no national football team for Australian women with cerebral palsy, acquired brain injury or symptoms of stroke. The Paramatildas have quickly proven themselves after they reached the grand final in this year's inaugural Cerebral Palsy Women's World Cup in Spain. The 10 Aussie women chosen for the team only found out that they'd be playing together in March, but by May they were headed off to Spain to the World Cup, despite never having played a competitive match together. They'd go on to play five games in only seven days. Then on May 18, they became the first ever senior Australian football team to win a silver medal at a World Cup, pushing the game against the US into extra time before conceding defeat two.
3: The Combank Paramatildas were 1-0 up in the first ever IFCPF World Cup final. A shot from nowhere.
2: I've
0: That's a line. The Paramatildas, they've equalised with another long shot. Cheering them on from the sidelines was Kelly Sturton, the proud head coach of the Combank Paramatildas. The team is super important.
3: Not only Australia, but the world in general in, in terms of football, because it gives girls and ladies pathways to a dream that they might want to achieve when they're such a small age. The athletes that we have inspire that younger generation, even that older generation, to try something and to succeed at something that have always wanted to do.
0: So how does this kind of football work on the field in terms of what spectators can expect from a Paramatildas match? How is it? different to the other football that fans might have seen? Yeah, so it's a a side based
3: competition. So very much like indoor soccer or futsal, you have five players on the field running goals for on the pitch and they're actually unclassified. So we're bound by classifications in CP football. So our classifications are pretty easy. It's FT1, FT2 and FT3. You must have one FT1 on the field at all times. So they're the ones that probably don't have as much movement in their body. And then you've got FT2, you can have as many of them on the pitch as you want. You have to have only at least one FT3
0: on the pitch. So you don't have to have an FT3, but if you do have an FT3, it only can be one. So those classifications sort of ensure that there are multiple abilities on the pitch at all times. Is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. It
3: just requires that even playing field across the sport. So you're giving everyone the opportunity to play. So if you've got limited movement, you still have that opportunity to play as well.
0: How does your job coaching the Paramatildas differ to other gigs that you've had before? What is it that you love about coaching this team?
3: I think you get a lot more joy out of coaching all ability squads, um, just because they haven't been given the opportunity before. So they want to go out there and they want to show you the best. They want to prove themselves to the rest of the world that, you know, no matter if I have a disability or not, I can still compete at the highest level. And that's the message that we try to send to everyone is that, you know, no matter who you are or if you have a disability, if you don't have a disability, there is always a goal
0: that you can achieve. Kelly says the Paramatildas only had six days to prepare for the World Cup. They didn't know what to expect. So it was pretty special that they beat the Netherlands 12-0 on Game 1 before making it all the way to the final. We didn't know what the other teams would look like. We knew USA
3: would be a powerhouse, as they are in football in general. But the other teams, we were very unsure. We were pretty happy with a, a second place in our first ever World Cup. It brings tears to my eyes every time I think about it. And the success that these girls have given to Australian football is something special as well.
0: Second in the World Cup, I mean, what's next for these trailblazers and how can people listening, Aussies interested in sport, interested in the all-ability space, how can we get behind them?
3: Yeah, so it's just the beginning for the Combat parametriotas, I think. Um, you know, second in the world is something that we can build on now and the girls know that. So anyone that has cerebral palsy in acquired brain injury or symptoms of stroke can join the team reach out to us, reach out to Football Australia, come to one of our development days that we're going to set up. We're going to have some camps and we're doing education pieces behind it. You know, we welcome anyone with open arms, no matter what your age, whether you're, five or 50 it doesn't matter we want to build this sport no matter if you're a female or a male it doesn't matter so i think if anyone wants to give it a go just reach out we will point you in the right direction and we want more like-minded athletes in these squads and let's build an amazing community around it
0: thanks for hanging out with us for another edition of the quickie junior and a big thanks to liam for giving us some amazing feedback on our first ever show
1: last week Hi, my name is Liam. I'm eight years old and I live in Sydney. I really like listening to The Quickie Junior because it's really fun and I like hearing about Sam Kerr and the Queen. If I could rate it, it would be four and a half stars. Keep up the good work.
0: If you want to let us know what you think, you can shoot us through a voice memo to thequickie at mamamia.com.au like Liam's mum, Teresa, did. Or you can rate and review us in your favourite podcast app. That's the Quickie Junior for today. This episode was produced by myself, Emma Gillespie, Claire Murphy and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Tom Lyon and scripting assistance by Peter Green. Catch you next week.